TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. I'm not tan. I'm certainly not rested. I have two kids. My wife and I have two kids. And I'm not necessarily ready, but the show needs to go on. I'm just back from a little mini excursion to Wisconsin Dells. The kids are on spring break this week, but I wanted to get back in time for the Twins home opener. So I am back in studio. I am back working, which means the Scoop podcast is once again eating up the six o'clock hour here on Score North, scorenorth.com. That's score, S-K-O-R-K. A, not C-O, score with a K, score north, 1500 AM on your conventional radio dial. If you have one of those fancy HD radios, it's a different frequency. So you can get us in so many different places, so many different ways. This show will be podcasted also after if for some reason... You're driving around, you're about to park, let's say you're heading to the Wolves game tonight, you're pulling into Ramp A or Ramp B, and you want to listen to what Bobby Marks has to say of ESPN, you can podcast the show later on, but we always air a Scoop podcast episode first, 6 o'clock hour here on 1500 AM. This is Scoop podcast episode 216. We will begin, yes, with Bobby Marks of ESPN. He worked in the Nets front office for many, many years, both in New Jersey and And in Brooklyn, at one point, he was the Nets' assistant general manager. He is extremely knowledgeable when it comes to the salary cap and what will take place with teams forthcoming in terms of the Wolves looking ahead to the summer, although the spring will be incredibly busy as well. As I've talked about oftentimes on this podcast, going back many weeks, I do not fully expect Ryan Saunders to be this team's full-time head coach. Didn't necessarily think that the day that Tom Thibodeau was fired, Ryan was elevated, but as time has gone on, you talk to more people, you hear some different things. I will be surprised if Ryan Saunders isn't this team's full-time head coach, as I've talked about for weeks. And I do foresee change in the front office. It's hard for me to see Scott Layden surviving. So I do think there will be somebody new calling the shot. So when talking about all the big moves that could potentially happen this summer, could Andrew Wiggins get traded? Who do the Wolves draft in the lottery? Do they end up keeping their lottery pick? What about Derrick Rose, Taj Gibson, Anthony Tolliver, so many different free agents? Jared Bayless, Tyus Jones is a restricted free agent. This roster could look significantly different next year, and I do think somebody will be calling the shots that isn't Scott Layden. Will it be Milt Newton? Will it be Calvin Booth? Will it be somebody else? So lots to digest when it comes to the Wolves. So let's get to Bobby Marks. He recently published on ESPN Insider an off-season look at the Wolves. So he went through a lot of the different questions that the Wolves need to answer this summer. Let's get to Bobby Marks on the Wolves and some other NBA talking points. Bobby, before we go big picture on the Wolves, let's start with the immediacy of this weekend. If you're a Wolves fan, it's a fun weekend. Back-to-back nights at Target Center. The Warriors and the Philadelphia 76ers now on the ladder, on the Sixers, on Jimmy Butler's return to Minneapolis. As you look back now many months later, I guess what stands out as you look back at the Jimmy Butler trade to Philadelphia and how that is now shaping the Wolves' future? Well, I I think that you saw the impact before Robert Covington got hurt as far as you've got a player under contract for the next you know, for the next three years, you know, of course, what you you know, you had a sample of what Dario Saric can do. Um, you know, of, of course, maybe you would have liked to have a another draft pick going into the June draft, uh, but you got something for a player that was 
likely going to leave and uh, in free agency based on what had occurred over the uh, over the you know over the season here. Um, it's a you know it worked out for Butler for now. Um, we'll see what happens this summer as far as from a financial standpoint if he's looking to get that money that he thought he could have uh, earned in uh, Minnesota on a possible re- renegotiation here. But yeah, I think it's just two teams probably at a different different crossroads. You know, uh, the Philadelphia team is in a a win now mode at uh, at all costs. You saw that with the Tobias Harris trade, and I think Minnesota is kind of in that in between where they're not fully rebuilding and they're you know they're not really re- retooling. Um, it's almost you know comparable what the um, you know what the Clippers have been able to do in the last uh, last couple of years here. So I'm sure Jimmy will get booed. <laughs> That's the nature of the uh, of the beast, and it you know it it, it did not end well as no. everyone in Minnesota knows, and mm-hmm. um, he'll come back. I think you know the other thing, interesting thing is that. When Minnesota played in uh, Philadelphia the last time, that team had no fight in that game. No, they so didn't. So will this team, yeah, so will this team, I know there's been a lot of injuries here and there are guys out, but will this team have more fight than what they showed, um, you know, a few months ago back down in, in Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, I recall that game. I mean, what sticks out the most to me from that game is how much Embiid just destroyed Carl Anthony Towns. Like, Towns in some ways, Bobby, unfortunately, curled up in the fetal position. Like, he didn't want anything to do right. with Embiid that night. So when talking, you know, even all NBA and and how you rank the centers, me personally, maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on that game. I believe it was December. Maybe it was early January. I think it was December, though. But maybe I'm putting too much emphasis, Bobby, on that one game. But the way Towns just let Embiid do whatever he wanted to him, Man, my opinion of Towns changed a little bit, and Towns has been brilliant if you go back about the last month or so. I mean, statistically, he has been outright brilliant. But there's something just stuck in my mind at how much Embiid just kicked his behind. Yeah, and I think that probably shows you a little bit of the separation for for where you know a player like Joel Embiid is. You know, probably going to earn a first team All NBA center, first or second, and then you know, and then the, certainly the, we've all talked about the discussion regarding Carl and the finances of, of earning All NBA here, and and there is a little bit of a separation where Joel is compared to, to where, where Carl is. But yeah, you're right. Carl has played uh, off the charts. I mean, um, I know there's the people out there say, well, you know, he's, you know, he's he's been playing on a team that's not winning and he's, he's, his stats are, you know, he's a stat patter. We're hearing that with Devin Booker, certainly down in Phoenix here, but you know, without, without, um, without Carl Anthony Towns, I, I don't know where, you know, this team would have been, you know, sunk in the deep end a long time ago here. And um, it's going to be an interesting debate as far as what the voter, the, what the media decides, if it's, you know, Towns, how much do they weigh in the Holy Anthony Davis, what happened with him in New Orleans? Because let's face it. I mean, Davis is, uh, Davis's minutes and his games have been uh, reduced at a significant point, and I think that's going to be taken into consideration when, when the media does vote here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure I see Davis just because of that on one of the teams, but me, presumably, Bobby, I mean, isn't it Embiid if he's not first team, he's second team, Jokic is first team or second team? Doesn't the debate come down to Towns versus Rudy Gobert, and I guess what in your mind is the criteria? I'm not a voter. You're not a voter. But what what is the criteria for picking the All-NBA teams? Because you're right. I mean, you can lay it out for the audience in case they don't know. But we're talking, what, $30 million at stake here. If Carl Anthony Towns makes one of the All-NBA teams, one of the three All-NBA teams, he gets an additional $30 million on the contract extension he signed last October. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think when you look at, um, yeah, it's 189 million if he gets one, two, or three. Yeah, Embiid and, and Jokic are they've got uh, first and second team sewn up ready, and it, it comes down to, you know, with Carl, with Anthony, with Rudy Gobert, you could maybe even talk Nick Busevic, what he's been able to do in mm-hmm. in, um, in in Orlando here. I don't know what the criteria is. I, I I don't. I wish I I wish there I wish the league. Especially when you are relying on the media to impact millions of dollars, has a set of criteria. I think that the same could go with MVP here. Um, you know, we're hearing the Harden uh, Giannis debate as far as you know. You know, some people favor Giannis because of where Milwaukee is in the standings compared to what James has been able to do. But I, I, I you know, I was, you know, I put a question on Twitter on um, on uh, Thursday morning. You know, based on what Devin Booker's been able to do in Phoenix. You know, here's the guy who's ninth in the league in scoring um has put up you know close to 260 point games back to back nights um and we haven't heard boo from him and here's another guy who's got criteria in his contract that he can earn millions based on first second or third team and we're talking about bradley beal and kemba walker two players that are yeah in playoff contention but you know guys that are on 30 plus win teams so what is is it the criteria is it winning is it, is it the impact is it what you do on the court is it offensively is it both defensively why do we have defensive first or second team if we're going to weigh that into all nba so i i think i would love the league especially when they're relying on the media as said for the vote to set put a set of criteria as far as this is your checklist as far as what to go by here all right big picture as you what recently what a couple days ago bobby published on espn insider your wolves off-season focus as you were researching that piece that people can read on ESPN Insider, laying out all the questions the Wolves have to answer or will try to answer this spring, this summer, including head coach, front office, lots of players are free agents, what will happen on the trade front, draft front. So much will go into the Wolves offseason. I guess as you were researching it, what what stood out the most? Well, I think the first thing is is that we, we've got to figure out as far as what structure is going to be in um, in basketball operations there. As far as you've got you know Scott Layden as the GM right now, um, do do we uh, is Scott the guy going long term or is going to be uh, somebody else brought in here? And I think that will certainly dictate as far as the direction that you go at coach. Um, I think the who the general manager and who the coach is has to be tied in. I think, uh, and I wrote about. It, I think Ryan Saunders has done a really good job. I, I, it's hard to evaluate him, and it goes back to you know not having Robert Covington, your best defensive player for the time that um, Ryan's been the coach when, when he took over for Tibbs here. And um, I, I saw them in um, Detroit a couple weeks ago when they you know, had a lead and then they wound up losing at, at the end, you know, kind of let go of the rope here. But I think where this team is right now, I don't think you can go through another process of kind of the rotating, as I say, the rotating door of coaches here. And I think there there's a rapport between some of the younger players um, and Ryan, you know, we'll see what they do in free agency and certainly in the draft. But I, I, if I was a GM coming in here, um, I would have comfort level with what's already in place instead of going outside and, and looking, um, you know, out, out outside of the box here. Is that a broken process? So, and I'm with you. I mean, I'm convinced Ryan Saunders will be the head coach. The players love him. You're right. I mean, it's been one injury after another. Jeff Teague, Derek Rose, go up and down the list. Tyus Jones was out for a stretch. Lou Aldang, who helped them for a little while. Now he's been out for a bit. Taj Gibson, I mean, the list of injuries. I mean, Robert Covington would be number one on that list. But the list is lengthy. But I'm just telling you, I think Ryan is going to be the coach. I also think finances come into play. Think about all the money they owe Tibbs. I think you can get Ryan 
for pretty cheap. So I just I think he's a fan favorite. I just I think a lot of signs point to Ryan being the head coach, which I'm okay with, by the way. I'll admit my bias because I like him personally, but I just know the players love him. I sat down with Derrick Rose a couple weeks ago. He was gushing. And you would think Derek would have every reason after his guy Tibbs got fired. But Derek was gushing to me, Bobby, about how much he loves Ryan. I'm just telling you, you know, those players are genuine when they talk about how much they love Ryan. But how broken is the process when you're trying to presumably hire a general manager, president of operations? I personally don't think Scott Layden will be back. I mean, how broken is that system when you're trying to hire a front office boss, but the coach is already in place? You're not allowing that individual to make a decision on the coach. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I saw it in um, I saw it in New Jersey when, you know, we had uh, Rod Thorne was the president slash GM. Rod was on um, was 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 leaving, but went through the job pro- uh, the hiring process of the head coach. We hired Avery Johnson, and then Billy King was hired two months later, and basically Billy inherited him. And that you know that was, you know, Avery lasted what two two and a half years here. So as I said, it's. I mean, the, the front office and the coaching staff has to be aligned here. I think the one thing you, you can't afford to happen is that Ryan is the uh, head coach, and then all of a sudden we have a situation like in Phoenix did with Earl Watson, where you know a year and a half later, after that interim tag is lifted, then we're looking for another another coach here. I think it, I think it just sets the organization organizations back so so much here. I think we've seen how much of an impact coaching is, how that can be probably one of your big free agent additions. As far as hiring the right person, we see that in Detroit with Wayne Casey. We see that in Milwaukee with Mike Boonholzer, um, certainly Brooklyn with Kenny Atkinson. That Sometimes, you know, if your roster is a little bit flawed, if you put together the right coaching staff, the right player development staff, that, that in itself can get you get you some wins here. But, yeah, it is – it is probably not a, a desirable position if you are a general manager and you are coming in and inheriting, um, inheriting that coach, unless that general manager, that new general manager, is, or is somebody that has ties to that organization already. Well, and that makes sense, right? Whether it's Milt Newton with the Bucks, Calvin Booth with the Nuggets. I mean, those would be two names I think I would keep an eye on because I think you're right. I think whoever they bring in needs to have instant synergy with Ryan. Oh, you're yeah, right. I mean, I think if you bring in an outsider – I don't. I think the clock starts on on Ryan Saunders and that and that um, and that coaching staff here because there's not a familiarity already with him. Do you know of any defensive-minded assistant coaches that are available? I mean, if Ryan is back, they need to bring in somebody. Bobby, now getting Covington back and having Covington play 75 plus games would help the defense to some degree. But this team is so bad defensively. Like I get it, the Cavs want to lose games, the Knicks want to lose games. Those teams stink defensively. The Wolves have been trying to win games, Bobby, and they are atrocious defensively. I don't know how much you've looked at the defensive numbers, but the Wolves are an embarrassment defensively. So I'm just wondering, do you know a name or two, anybody hit you that might be available that can join Ryan's staff to help coach defense? I think Frank Vogel would be perfect. Mm, mm -hmm. I think he would be the perfect name there. Now it's a matter of, I'm sure Frank's probably getting still getting paid by Orlando here, and does he want to go into that assistant coach's role? But if he if he wants to get back in in the, in the league and and maybe use this as a springboard for the, his next opportunity here, I think based on what he was able to do in in Indiana with that group there, um, Orlando is hard to kind of evaluate because you know the, you know you missed out on so many guys in, in the draft there, and there was a lot of turnover with that roster. But yeah, I mean, I think that would be, um, and, and he's an, an experienced, assist, uh, you know, experienced coach here. So uh, I think that would be the perfect name. It's just a matter of kind of is that is that is that what he would want? But you're right. I think 
you know, you you look at how the uh, the team is right now from a coaching standpoint. It's almost like you're going to need to hire coordinators. You need to hire a defensive coordinator, somebody that can kind of take over this defense and kind of mold it into, you know, have an identity. And, okay, so you talk about, you know, being hard to evaluate. Maybe not hard to evaluate is Andrew Wiggins. Is Wiggins at this point, Bobby? I mean, is this who he is entering year six? I mean, he shows flashes of brilliance. I think about Ryan Saunders' first game. It was a game in Oklahoma City. Andrew Wiggins got to the free throw line 18 times. But, unfortunately, that's a mirage. That's certainly not a trend. At this point, is Andrew Wiggins sort of is who he is, and would they have to attach an asset or two just to move the contract? Yeah, I think he is. I think we're in, uh, what, we're in year five right now. We're going into year six. Um, as I wrote, you know, he's trending south as far as where he is. Hey, he still gives you, you know, he can still give you 16, 17 points a night, and he's still, you know, in his, you know, in his mid, mid-20s here. So I think the hard part is that we justify what he earns um, from a paycheck standpoint. Um, a max player, we, we put that on a different level where we think that's an all-star or all-NBA type player, and the reality is that he's not. So if we can kind of get past that, then yeah, he's a you know he's a he's a serviceable you know wing that can either start or come off the a bench for you. I think you know now we're we're if, if it's Ryan or somebody else, this will be you know Andrew will have multiple multiple coaches here. But yeah, as far as a co- the contract going forward, he's got still four years left. I just think it's hard to move um, without attaching anything with that. And if I'm Minnesota, I don't know if I want to do do that you know a lot of these contracts that were signed in the summer of 2016 when the cap spiked and there were some really undesirable contracts now these contracts have one year left on so there's not many bad contracts out there that have you know that you're swapping you know three years for four years here so i think you kind of just you bring them back you hopefully you have a defined role um you know with him and you kind of see where where it goes, but yeah, I just think moving that contract right now with with owed four years, a hundred million plus is is um, is going to be extremely hard. Where are the wolves in terms of the luxury tax? I can't imagine Glenn Taylor is willing to pay any sort of luxury tax for a non playoff team. So when looking at you know where they could be in terms of being a free agent player, you know you look at guys that have expiring contracts. You know Gibson at the top of that list, Rose at the top of that list. Tyus Jones is a restricted free agent. Anthony Tolliver is unrestricted. Jared Bayless is unrestricted. I mean, how much flexibility, versatility will they have to make some moves this summer? Yeah, I mean, you're going to be you're still pressed against the um, you're still pressed against the luxury tax. You do have a little bit of a breathing room. Um, you know, you're you're over a cap. Um, you, you're still under the luxury tax here, but to go out and make big moves, I don't see that happen. The anticipation is that you know Jeff Keegle opt into his contract there, so that's a, you know, that's certainly a big number. I think the interesting thing what, what happens at point guard, you know, a backup point guard here with uh, with Tyus Jones who's a restricted free agent. We, we've talked about Derek Rose, um, who's got early bird rights. You can pay up to you know around nine million dollars for him. I don't think Rose will certainly get that. I think maybe half of that is probably what his value is. I think probably you, the days of Taj Gibson are probably over in, in Minnesota. I think Sarge becomes your your permanent starter going forward, and then you figure out who is uh, who the backup is going to be here. So, you know, if you don't bring back some of your free agents, then you're left with your you know your nine point two million dollar you know tax um, full mid level exception here, and you and your draft pick. So. I think it's more about kind of hitting singles in free agency. I don't see any big splashes. They are not one of the nine or ten teams that have significant cap space when you go into um, when you go into this summer here. 
What do you think of Saric long term? I'm still trying to figure out how good he is. I would say so far, his Wolves tenure, his Wolves run has been pretty uninspiring. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's that's why when you look at him, he's extension eligible this summer. Um, I almost want to give another year to figure out where, where Dario Saric is. You know, he, you know, he, there was, you know, he went from Philadelphia to Minnesota mid-year. Can you blame it on that? He had a coaching change, so there was, you know, a lot of different voices, a lot of different systems for him playing in. Um, I think you were still in the evaluation stage of him. Um, I think next year will certainly be huge uh, for him, and that's probably a big reason why. Um, I am holding off as far as any kind of long-term commitment until I kind of know what I have as a player. I love chatting with former Nets executive ESPN's Bobby Marks. We'll get to more with Bobby in just a second. And Fran Fraschilla on the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four. Fran Fraschilla, former college basketball coach, now ESPN analyst and Westwood One analyst for the tournament. We'll get to Fran Fraschilla later on on the Scoop Podcast. More with Bobby, though, next. Welcome back, everyone. It is the Scoop Podcast. Second segment, we continue with Bobby Marks of ESPN. A little bit more on the Wolves, Bobby, then we'll get to some other NBA topics. Josh Okogie, I mean, you talk about maybe hitting a single in free agency. If they could hit a single or double with two draft picks again this June, that would be nice. I mean, I'm looking at Josh Okogie, Keita Bates-Diop. I'm not suggesting either guy has any chance to be a star, although I don't want to cap a guy's ceiling this early in their career. But I think they hit singles with those guys, maybe even a double with Okogie. Do you like those two rookies? Because those two rookies are going to have pretty big roles next year. And would that be the idea that hopefully, you know, it looks like the Wolves will probably end up picking maybe ninth, 10th, 11th. They would need incredible luck to move up into the top four. But they should be able to get a good player there in the lottery. And then maybe they hit a single in the second round like with Keita Bates-Diop. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it shows you the value of the draft when you are able to come in and, you know, not not probably get an all-star or, you know, franchise-level player, but a guy can come in and, and give you minutes, become a rotational player, you know, take a start for you in his, in his first year like Josh been able to do because you have that player for four years at a at a really low controllable controllable contract here. So uh, I think you're, you know, it was a little bit different now when you're drafting in, in, the, in the 20s compared to where they're going to be picking in the, you know, in the top 14 here. So you'll get another, um, you'll get another, um, you know, a role type player here, maybe a little bit more of an impact. And, and that's, that's the key when you're, when your flexibility is not great, um, when you can't go out in free agency and add a, you know, a, a big time player is that you've got to hit on some of these, uh, some of these draft picks here, especially in some of them, you know, some of these mid market here, uh, uh, cities. So yeah, I think that's, um, that's kind of where you're looking at it from Minnesota. I think there are, were certainly good moments here for, um, for Josh this year. I think it's certainly a learning curve. Um, especially you know the you know the times that he did start here, so it will be interesting as far as what they do in the draft here. I think you you certainly probably go best available when you're picking in the lottery. Um, you know I think you can probably you know you you probably have needs all around and and, and you go from there. Agree. I mean, if they took a point guard, that's fine. If they took a guy that's a wing. That's fine if they want to take a big, like the guy from Texas. To me, that's fine, too. I'm with you. You take the best possible player you can. Are the Wolves stuck in about the worst possible place, Bobby? Not to not to completely paint a doom and gloom long-term picture, at least over the next couple of years, but it seems like they're stuck in middle purgatory where they're not quite bad enough to completely hit rock bottom to have a really good chance to land a top three pick to be in a position to get a 
a transformational talent like a Zion Williamson or whoever that guy might be for the 2020 draft, James Weissman, somebody like that, Cole Anthony, you know, somebody of that ilk. You know, but they're not maybe quite good enough to even make the playoffs. It seems like they're stuck in just a really, really bad spot. Well, I think they're they're behind. I mean, I think they're certainly behind where teams like, um, you know, like certainly where teams like Denver is, who was able to build, you know, through the draft. Um, eventually, you know, the salaries in Denver will catch up like it has caught up with, um, with, with Minnesota. I think a lot of it certainly comes back to, as we've talked about, you know, if you can get an Andrew Wiggins type impact where he's producing at a, you know, an all-star type clip, um, I mean, that's, that, that's, that helps a lot because you, between him and Carl, you've got, you know, $50 million plus tied up in, in, uh, in two players. So I don't know if, if purgatory as far as roster goes, I think there's some other teams maybe out there like Charlotte and, and Miami as far as, you know, lack of, um, lack of flexibility and kind of stuck in that in between, certainly Detroit. Um, they, we would probably be talking about them a little bit differently, maybe if they were in the East. But I think the Western Conference certainly does not help as far as from a, from a building standpoint. But um, you know, eventually you'll get you know Teague's number off, and then you'll, you'll start to get some some flexibility here. I think I, I would you know as we've talked about, I love I would have loved to see Robert Covington healthy, and and what type of you know what type of impact he would have had there as far as from a from a starting standpoint for a full you know for almost a full season here. So. I think we're kind of still in a little bit of a wait-and-see mode as far as where this Minnesota team is. I think we'll probably have a better understanding a year from now. I'm with you. I agree on Covington. I think he is a good player. I think he can help them. I think he can be a good piece on a good team. On Teague, I mean, you touched on it, but like 0% chance. I mean, there's no way that he doesn't exercise his $19 million player option. I think it's hard. You know, I, I really do. I think the point guard market where you look at it, you've got, you know, certainly Kemba and Kyrie Irving. <clears throat> the next level is, um, is you know, D'Angelo Russell, Terry Rozier. I think, you know, Teague probably goes into that Darren Collins and Pat Beverly group there, that probably that third, um, that third level. There's, you know, nine or ten teams that have cap space. Um, certainly there are teams like Orlando and Phoenix that, you know, do need a point guard here. Um, it's hard to earn back that money. You know, is there a market for Jeff Teague at two years, twenty-four million? Yeah, certainly. But then you're playing catch-up for that seven million you're leaving on the table here. So, I would say never say never. I've seen crazier things happen, and with guys that have um, that have player options that want to test the market and see if they can, you know, get a long-term deal somewhere else. But I, I would I would think the the likelihood is that he does opt in when it comes to the end of June. Another free agent point guard, a fan favorite here in Minnesota, is Ricky Rubio of Utah. As we segue to some other NBA topics, do you think the Jazz have a chance to make a run? Well, I think you know if 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 Ricky's willing to come, I think you have your you'll have your mid level exception. You know, I mean that's a you know nine million dollar number. It's a little bit less than what he's uh, earned. Um, you know, in, in Utah right here. But I think outside of the Jazz, because they've got his bird rights and they can exceed the cap, I mean, that's kind of where the, the market for, for Ricky Rubio is. Maybe it's a little bit more, more than that. So I think that's kind of what, if you're a Minnesota fan, that's kind of what you're staring at as, as far as will he come back for, you know, a 9 to $10 million contract. And then what about Utah and its playoff chances? I mean, as you size up the Western Conference playoff race, and heck, I mean, there's still going to be some jockeying in terms of, you know, where teams will end up seeding-wise. But do you think Utah has a chance to make a run come, you know, late April into May? Well, you're right. I think it's about – is about seeding. I think, you know, you've certainly – you've got to stay out of that eight hole so you don't face um, 
they don't face Golden State. I think trying to avoid Houston in the, in the first round too, and then I think anything after that, I think it's you know it's it's a wide uh, you know anything can happen. You know, with teams like Utah, San Antonio, you know certainly the uh, Nurkic injury in Portland hurts. Um, we don't know what we're going to get out of this Denver team come come to playoffs here. So. Um, but they are playing. Utah is playing at a, at a pretty good level right now. I think we saw last year in that Oklahoma City series as far as what they can do. You know, Donovan Mitchell certainly plays at a, at a high level. So, yeah, I think you know we'll, it will be interesting because I think outside, as I mentioned, outside of kind of where where Golden State and Houston is, is that you know uh, you know seeds three to six, uh, three to eight is is uh, is pretty open. I mean, can you make a case for you know seeds about two through seven? You know, depending on the matchup where that team can move on, like can you sit here and say, okay, depending on the matchup, the Clippers can get to the second round, the Thunder can get to the second round, Denver, Utah, just depending on matchups. I mean, where you say that that it's so evenly matched outside of maybe who Golden State ends up playing in the first round that two through seven, any of those teams can move on to the second round? Oh, certainly. I mean, even you know, we put we talk about San Antonio too. I mean, if it if it's a two seven Denver San Antonio, I think. A matchup in round one. I mean, I would think you would give San Antonio certainly a good, um, a good chance there. I mean, especially as I said, we don't know what we're getting in Denver. You know, outside of Paul Millsap and and um, and Mason Plumlee, no player on a team has had playoff experience, and it's a little bit different than the, the group we had in Jersey in 0102 that went to an NBA Finals. But we had Jason Kidd, who was a veteran, as our point guard. Denver does not have that there, so. Yeah, I think outside of who is playing Golden State in that round one, we can make a case out of any of those teams getting to a um, into a Western Conference semifinals or possibly if you're on the other side of the bracket, getting into a Western Conference final. I mean, this is the scary thing, Bobby. I mean, it just hit me. I mean, maybe more so as, as I start listing all these teams and thinking about the Wolves and how they fit in next year. I mean, the Lakers are going to get some free agent, right? So the Lakers are going to get back into the top eight. Sacramento has a nice young core. Then you look at the current eight playoff teams. Like, who's dropping off the map? Like, if you're the Wolves, who are you jumping over? I mean, the Western Conference is so darn good. Well, you're right, and we haven't talked about Dallas. Dallas, I mean, too, yes, Dallas, with Porzingis, yeah, yes. Dallas, you have get, you'll get a, a healthy Porzingis. You get Doncic in year two. You know, they've got some money to spend in free agency. Who will they go out and uh, and get? Um so they they're another team. Certainly, Phoenix will get better. I mean, they'll you know they'll they'll have a top three, um, you know, a top three pick here. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's like who are you? You know, it's it's discouraging. You know, it's like almost this is where you almost want you know open seating when you get to the playoffs here, where we're not an Eastern or Western Conference because the Western Conference is so um, is so dominant here that when you have when you fire a coach and you make a trade for a player like Jimmy Butler and it doesn't work out, it sets you back. I mean, that's the reality of the situation where you're, where, as I said, you're kind of playing catch up to some of these other teams. Who do you like in the East? I mean, the Brogdon injury, how big of a deal is that for Milwaukee? Or do you still make Milwaukee the favorite? And are people sleeping a little too much on the Boston Celtics? Yeah, I mean, I think for, you know, I've been on Toronto all year. I picked them to go to, to the finals when we did our, um, uh, when we picked our teams back in October. They scare me a little bit come down the stretch here. I just feel like this team goes back to ISO ball, even with Kawhi on, on the team here. It kind of 
trends back to bad habits that we saw in the last couple of years here. I think if Milwaukee can get to the second round in one piece, um, I don't see anybody you know giving them a fight in the, in the first round here. If, if you can get Brogdon back and, and Miritich, Tony Snell, players like that, uh, that is a dangerous team here. I, I don't put them in the conversation of teams in the past that have, that have lost in the first round. This is a different group. They've got a really good coach. Um, I think the style of play can translate into the uh, in, into the postseason postseason here. And if and if things click right in Boston, it's kind of like we're waiting for things to you know, you know flip the switch here. Yeah, I mean if you roll if you have a lineup with you know Kyrie and Al Horford and Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown and Marcus Morris, that, yeah, that's a dangerous team when we get into the uh, into the playoffs. I think. I think the the, um, the Eastern Conference semifinals will probably be as good as well. I've seen it in a long time when you when you probably put in um, Philadelphia into that equation with that starting lineup. It's a shame what happened with Indiana with Victor Oladipo um, with his injury, but they've still competed at a pretty high level here. Um, but yeah, I think I think Milwaukee. If, if you're asking me, kind of out of those four or five teams, yes, I think home court will certainly matter. Um, I think Mike Budenholzer, who has been in, who has taken an Atlanta team to an Eastern Conference Finals, that helps. Um, but as I said, it's a matter of kind of can you get there, can you get this team healthy. Fun chat with ESPN's Bobby Marks. He worked for a number of years in the Nets front office, both in New Jersey and in Brooklyn. At one point, he was the Nets assistant general manager. He does fantastic work for ESPN.com, ESPN Television, all the ESPN platforms. We always appreciate Bobby Marks' contributions to the Scoop podcast. Fun weekend of Wolves basketball. If you're into watching superstars with the Warriors at Target Center tonight, Jimmy Butler and the Philadelphia 76ers at Target Center tomorrow night. We'll continue the basketball dialogue. We'll talk the college game next with Fran Fraschilla. Stay with us. It's final segment time here on the Scoop Podcast on Score North, scorenorth.com, 1500 AM on your conventional radio dial. I was on a mini spring break getaway for a good portion of the week. So in terms of my normal scoopage notes, those will return next week. I'm just going interview, interview, interview as I'm catching up after being out of town for a majority of the week. So I'm a little behind on some stuff. So it made it easier on my end just to do a bunch of interviews for this particular episode. But I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Bobby Marks of ESPN is solid, as is Fran Fraschilla, former college basketball coach, now ESPN analyst, and he's doing some analyst work for Westwood One during this tournament. He has been on the podcast before. He's a friend of the podcast. We love having Fran Fraschilla on. He also worked a couple Gophers games during the season. We love his analysis. Let's get to Fran Fraschilla. All right, Fran, all ones, all twos, all three seeds made it to the Sweet 16. How surprised are you that all 12 of those teams have made it this far? Well, I saw a stat that said that op- the chances of that happening were less than 1%, you know, like 0.9%. So think about that. That's that's rare. But uh, I absolutely love it, and I think it's great for, for college basketball fans. Uh, everybody loves the Cinderella the first weekend, Darren, but, you know, very rarely does a Loyola of Chicago break through to the Final Four. You had a George Mason, I think, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. I, I love this. I cannot find one single bad matchup that I am not absolutely looking forward to watching this weekend starting, you know, starting tonight. Yeah, I mean, you think about Michigan-Texas Tech, you know, the Houston-Kentucky game. I mean, go up and down the list. I'm with you. I don't mind the occasional upset in the round of yep. 64, but give me the best of the best this weekend. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's exactly what we're going to have. And I think when we get to, when we get to Saturday and Sunday, especially, you're going to have you know some really powerhouse blue blood type matchups. And uh, you know, I think that'll be really. I think you know, I think I think we're going to see some incredible basketball. I really do. There's so many teams left. Think about it with Hall of Fame coaches. There's some really elite defensive teams in this tournament still left. And, uh, you know, I, I was looking at the Ken Palm numbers after the weekend, and uh, uh, I, it's amazing. I think um, all, all, 13 of the teams are with inside, I think, the top 15. There's a number 18, and then Oregon's at 28. So you couldn't ask for better basketball uh, than what we're going to have this weekend. Now let's just see it all play out. One situation I hope that plays out is North Carolina-Kentucky on Sunday. That is the game that I want to see more than any other this weekend, Fran. Yeah, that should be that should be uh, that's going to be another classic because uh, they met early in the year, obviously, and uh, if they meet again, then I, you know it, it is what it always is when you deal with uh, that kind of blue blood matchup. Carolina got beat the first time. Uh, Kentucky was, you know, was just starting to find itself after the opening night embarrassment to Duke, and uh, Carolina's playing great right now. They're rebounding the ball, they're getting some scoring inside from some of those young big guys like Darrison Brooks. Cam Johnson's been on fire, and uh, of course they have a Hall of Fame coach. So, uh, you know, the key thing for Kentucky, as you know, is how healthy will PJ Washington be, and will he play? You know, so. Um, a lot of lot of intrigue there, but certainly a great matchup if it comes to fruition. How much of a difference maker is Washington? And at least based on was it his dad on Instagram, you know, with the video that PJ is now out of out of the walking boot, that it looks like it's trending in the right direction for PJ to be playing this weekend. Yeah, and you know the key is going to be how healthy he is. He for, Kentucky turned the corner on their season when a couple things happened. Uh, Quade Green transferred to Washington, and that's not a knock on Quade. It's just it opened up the backcourt, particularly for Ashton Higgins to assert himself, and he, the freshman point guard definitely did. And the other thing that turned around Kentucky's season, when I say turned it around, made them an elite team, was the emergence of P.J. Washington as a sophomore being their dominant scorer, both inside and out. So him not at 100% or not playing is a huge loss uh, I think they can get by Houston. I do. I have a lot of respect for what Houston's done this year, but to ask them to get by Carolina over the weekend without PJ healthy, I think is a tall order. Washington Reed Travis is a nice one-two punch. Reed is a Minneapolis kid, D. LaSalle High right. School. I mean, you think about a lot of people here rooting for Reed to get to U.S. Bank Stadium for the Final Four. No question about it. Reed Reed had a terrific career uh, at Stanford. Uh, you know, obviously battled some serious injuries. Um, you know, they, they didn't have the kind of success out there. And uh, as you may know because, uh, you know, I have a connection to the family because Noah played at Harvard with my son. Oh, that's right, yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. very, very happy for the, for the you know, for the – Travis family. It's a great, it's a great family. Obviously, the Divasal guys, and uh, you know, for for Reed to be uh, in the mix here and be a key part along with PJ Washington. Think about it. They've got a grad transfer and a sophomore. Those are their two veteran guys, and uh, it's worked out really well for Reed. A plus family. Dad Nate is as good as it gets. The youngest brother Jalen, who's a junior at DLSL, just picked up a University of Minnesota football offer. He's a really good wow. offensive lineman. He's also the starting center on a state championship basketball team. So he's a good basketball player. 
but his future is in football. And I guess, you know, I was texting with dad the other day. It looks like it'll either be the Gophers or he may end up going the Ivy League route because he's a really smart kid, wants to get into political science. So he may, wow. yeah, he may jump on just an opportunity to get an Ivy League education, but he's good enough to earn, think about that, a Big Ten football scholarship. So, yeah, I mean, great family. Then you think about the local yep. ties, Fran. I mean, Gino Crandall, D. LaSalle. I mean, he's like, what, the seventh or eighth man for Gonzaga? Yeah. I mean, he yeah. plays. And then Trey Jones of Duke. Apple Valley High School. So, I mean, it could be Duke, Gonzaga, Kentucky, all here at U.S. Bank Stadium, all with big-time local ties. Yeah, no question. You and I talked before about how good high school basketball has gotten in the, in the Twin Cities. And, uh, you know, now with Matthew Hurt and uh, going to make a decision here in the next couple of weeks and the terrific young guard, Galen Sugg. So I've seen a lot. Uh, you know, it's great. And, by the way, I think we talked about this early in the year, you know, Richard Pitino, uh, you know, it's hard to keep every single good player home. We get that. Tom Izzo doesn't do that in the state of Michigan or, or when he recruits uh, a Jabari Parker or a Vernon Carey. But when you look at that Minnesota team this year, you know, I was really tickled. Uh, you know, uh, Oturo got better from when I saw him earlier. Gabe Kausher had a terrific year. And then I don't know if there was a hotter player, uh, you know, in the country or certainly in the top five the last month of the regular season than a mere coffee. So, uh, you know, that's a good sign, I think, going forward for the Gophers as well. You're right. I mean, do you think Amir has a chance to make an impact at the NBA level? Now, he can come back for for his senior year, but his dad was on the podcast a few days ago, Richard Coffey, who's a great guy, by the way. And Richard said, no surprise, that that Amir is going to test. I mean, he should, right? He's going to test the NBA draft waters. Then, you know, on that final day, he'll make a decision whether he stays in the draft or he comes back for his senior year. But do you think Amir eventually, whether it's this year or next year, has an NBA future? I think he'll make a team. I, I definitely think he's got a chance to make a team. And I think I think uh, somebody in his in his situation is doing exactly the right thing. He'll get a chance um, to really you know, he'll get to work out for teams. You know, it's possibility he'll get invited to the combine, um, and he'll get a chance to measure himself against other guys that are fighting for you know spots in this year's draft. And if not, uh, he comes back and he becomes one of the you know one of the top players in the Big Ten next year and potential All American. And uh, you know, there's still a, a professional career that awaits him regardless and the key is because i think uh you know his dad has experience with this obviously as a great college player and then uh, you know a guy that played in the nba is to get all the information you can darren and 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 get honest information and when i say that it's not just from people who are hangers on or agents it's uh you know it's nba people who will tell them exactly where they think he fits and if he's happy if he's okay let's say for example going in the early to mid second round i've seen guys come out and do that if he He's not okay with that, and he thinks he can improve his stock and come back and enjoy college one more year. He can do that too. So, I think in Amir's case, the way he's played at the last, in the last month of the year, you know, the world's his oyster right now, and he's going to get a chance to make a, hopefully a smart decision. We may as well continue the Gophers theme. You tweeted about it. I mean, the Jordan Murphy situation just so unfortunate, Fran, that that in four years he never even missed a practice, let alone a game but gets hurt in that first game against Louisville. Now, hey, the Gophers, it's not like it's a high bar here, Fran. I mean, they only have yep. two NCAA tournament wins going back to 1997, and one of them was Tubby Smith and the Gophers in 2012 beating Shabazz Muhammad in UCLA. Then Tubby was fired a few days later. So it's not like the bar exactly. is real high. So the Gophers getting to the round of 32 is a pretty big deal around here, and maybe they don't beat Michigan State even with a healthy Jordan Murphy. But gosh darn, Fran, it would have been nice to have Jordan Murphy healthy for that game. 
No question. You know, they played each other once during the year, as you know, and Michigan State handled them, I think, by 19 up in East Lansing. Yeah, more than that, a, yeah. Yeah, this was a different Gopher team the last three weeks. I've always, I've always contended, Darren, that when you play in a league like the Big Ten or the ACC and, or the Big 12, and you're in that you're in that middle of the pack and you're a bubble team and you know you're a bubble team on February 1st, you know, uh, some teams crack under that pressure, other teams get better. And, you know, Minnesota, I thought, you know, to Richard Patino's credit, really got better as the year got along. A lot of that had to do with Amir coming on and, and playing the way he did. And, and so, you know, I, again, I, I don't know if they would have beat Michigan State. I would tend to probably still doubt it. But to have Jordan, uh, you know, miss that opportunity to really be at his best um, was unfortunate because, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, I've been lucky, even though I'm a Big 12 guy, I've, I've covered the Gophers just about every year, I think, in the last three or four years. So I've watched Jordan, and, uh, you know, look, when you're the second all-time leading rebounder in the history of the Big Ten to a guy named Jerry Lucas, that's an incredible accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And to do what he did, you know, in the shadows of guys like Michael Thompson and Kevin McHale, uh, especially a guy six foot six, I think, you know, uh, is, uh, is really remarkable. But he had a great career. Now the key is to get healthy. And then, you know, professional basketball is definitely in his future as well, whether it's the NBA level or overseas or the G League. He's, you know, he's going to continue playing ball. I mean, does he have a chance? I mean, I just, I've texted with some NBA scouts and they're just, they're worried that he never, unfortunately never really developed an outside shot that that not to say that that he can't make it to the nba but he likely would have to go yeah. the g league route fight his way through the g league get to the nba he's not going to get drafted i just don't see it or you're right. right i mean if he wants to if he wants to go overseas i think about a guy a friend of mine trevor mbakwe who you know trevor mbakwe has made a ton of money being you know for for a while maybe not so much now but for a while a star overseas you can make a lot of money as you know Overseas, yeah. so I'm with you. Jordan Murphy is going to make money playing basketball. I guess the question is where. Exactly, and then you know, if I looked at a guy like Jared Dudley, I see some Jordan Murphy in him, and Jared's coming to the end of his career now. Jared became a good shooter, and a guy that did not make a three, uh, a single three in his career, actually, is, at Texas has turned out to be a pretty good three point shooter in the NBA. And that's PJ Tucker. So, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys in Jordan's situation have got to figure out where their deficiencies are at the next level and then really grind away and perfect them. But, uh, again, he'll, he'll, make basketball, he'll make money playing basketball, and uh, uh, I don't want to eliminate the NBA from his thought process, but, you know, to go overseas and play 8 to 10 to 12 years and be a, you know, they want solid people over there. They don't want the American that's just always looking for, you know, complaining that they don't have a McDonald's in their town. Um, you have to embrace the culture overseas, but if you do – um, he can really do well. They, they they value American players, and they, uh, you know, I think uh, I think he's going to have that opportunity. I'll leave you with what might be a dumb question. You can have Duke or the field. Which way do you lean? Oh, I'm taking the field. I'm okay. taking the yeah. field. I, I saw a dumb question. Field against UCF, and that's that outside shooting and uh, remarkable, remarkable to watch that game the other night. Uh, remarkable to watch Zion. Uh, just a, an immense talent that they've got some talented young guys, but uh, you know uh, Trey, Trey. Unfortunately, as good as he's played all year, and uh, he's been one of the best freshman point guards in the country. I think he's hovering around twenty three percent from the arc. Uh, Zion and, and Reddish are in the low thirties. Barrett the same. So, yeah, I have Michigan State coming out of uh, you know coming out of the East 
because I just think uh, Tom Izzo is going to find a, finally figure out a way to beat Coach K, Darren. He's 1-11 all time against Coach K. But uh, be that as it may, I think I would take the field because I think as good as Duke is, they're still young. Uh, and they still won't shoot the ball great, and someone's going to force them to uh, make three-point shots like UCF did over the weekend. Fran, always appreciate it. Enjoy the games this weekend. Always a pleasure talking to you, Darren. Thanks so much. By about this time Sunday night, maybe a little bit later, we will know the four teams coming to U.S. Bank Stadium for the Final Four. We appreciate Fran for Schilla's analysis. That does it for Scoop Podcast Episode 216. Your dog is more than just your bestie with the cutest face ever. Get to know them on a genetic level with Embark Vet. Developed by veterinarians and PhDs, Embark screens for more than 215 genetic health risks across more than 350 breeds. It's top-notch science for your top-notch pup. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.